morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. Uh, you actually have an outline on your table. If you want to go ahead and pass that around or everybody take a copy, which would be fabulous. There are a couple of um, spots if you want to. You can fill in uh, the blanks. Um, and uh, you will need a pencil for part of um, the time that I'll be teaching, so or a pen or crown, whatever you can find in your bag, <laughs> Sharpie, <laughs> it's that kind of season. So let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, we are so grateful for your love for us and that you give us the ability to flee from the idols of this world and to worship you. I'm struck by this last line of our hymn, that our heart would be an altar and thy love the flame, Lord. Please help us to do that, Lord. Um, to make our heart an altar where you are worshipped and our love for you would flame that fire um, and you would receive it as a sweet fragrance and aroma. Thank you for our time together, Lord. I ask for your help to teach and, of course, I ask that um, what would be visible is Christ. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, let me do one more thing, actually. One of, our, one of our books for our potential summer study is The Lord of Psalm 23 by David Gibson. I've been using this for my devotional reading after I read scripture. It's really, really good. So if you're looking for something to read, I just wanted to recommend that. Okay, let me go ahead to our lesson. Um, identifying idols in our lives. Um, in the beloved book where the red fern grows, um, which was published in 1961, so I imagine there are generations of readers, and maybe some of y'all have read it, the main character, Billy Coleman, constructs a trap in order to catch a raccoon so he can then take the skin to train his new hounds to hunt. The trap is made of a wooden log, and it has a large enough opening that the raccoon can actually stick its paw in, okay, so... Um, it can stick its paw in and close around the object that it's attracted to. Um, I'm told that raccoons like shiny things and they like dog food, so you can trap them with that. So the raccoon reaches in that hole and, of course, grasps the object. That's why they put their hand in the hole. But they're not able to pull that paw back because the trap also has two nails that kind of crisscross over the hole, Okay. And so um, if you know anything about raccoons, they are tenaciously um, stubborn animals. And so rather than releasing that object or food, they just keep trying to pull that paw back. And they remain trapped and eventually succumb to whoever was trying to trap them. Well, with, I read this book with my sixth grade literature students, and we discuss that people are no different. Um, we're like stubborn raccoons grasping those idols um, in exchange for letting go and submitting those to God. So this lesson that um, our author, Christina Fox, has laid out for us today is to help us identify those idols, um, and there's a list of them, and then identify ones that we're more personally tempted to um, follow, and then um, learn how we can turn to Christ to turn from and overcome those idols in our lives. The first three sections of my outline, why, 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 identify idols, the um, 
And then um, what is the root cause? And then the fruit of housing idolatry are probably more review for us. But I really, I really appreciate the way Christina Fox has really very carefully laid a foundation for us to understand um, idolatry and worship. Um, and then and, and what she's laid is really needed as we're considering specific idols. So I just kind of want to do a brief, brief review. I realize that my there's a lot of papers in front of you, but I promise it won't take as long as it looks. <laughs> so um, let's go to this first. Why, why, why identify idols? All moms know as our children grow and become more inquisitive, our days are met with why. Um, I googled how many why questions a child generally asks in one day and why your brain might be tired at the end of the day. 73 <laughs> why questions a day. Why do I have to take a nap? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why can't I run with scissors? Why do I have to clean up? Why don't we have tails? Why are flamingos pink? Why do I have to eat broccoli. In my case, it would be lima beans. Um, children ask these questions to gain an understanding of their world and to facilitate concept building and problem solving. And since the title of our chapter is Identifying Idols in Our Lives, I'm not trying to overwhelm you with another why question because I'm sure you'll have lots later today. But I want to ask the question, why? Why should we identify idols in our lives? And is it possible that we might, through asking that question, gain more knowledge about God, better understand our relationship with him, and grow in godliness, which is his goal for us, and worship him as we were made to do? So I have 13 reasons, <laughs> and you can fill in as we go along if you'd like to. Why identify idols? Maybe they're not so bad. Well, A, we were made to worship God. That's it. That's all we need to know. <laughs> we were made to worship God. Idols violate the commands of God. Idols deny the rightful place of God. Idolatry is adultery against God. We're on E. Idols deny the sanctifying power of God in our lives. Letter F, idols serve self rather than God. Letter G, idols cause stumbling blocks in our lives. Letter H, Idols exchange God's wisdom for ours, which is one of those familiar garden things we recall. Idols cause us to sin against God. Idols cause us to hurt and sin against another, other people. Idols reveal a divided heart. Idols can never bring peace, lasting joy, and pleasures. And ultimately, idols bring spiritual death. Consider this passage from Ezekiel as a stark warning that we should think that it is okay to toy with idols. And you should have that in front of you. Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 to 8. Then certain of the 
a certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore, speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, repent and turn away from idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel... Or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idol into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword, and cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am Lord. And just like these men who took idols into their hearts and set them as a stumbling block before their eyes, we're really without excuse um, and found guilty in our idol worship. And as a way of review again, what is the root cause of idolatry that we see in our hearts? Well, it's our sin in the form of our own passions and desires that are, that are the root cause of idolatry. And we see this clearly in two passages. The first is James and the sec, excuse me, James chapter 1 and the second James chapter 4. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, te he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, those are two big words, lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And then James 4, 1 to 3, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you are wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you, do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But our hearts are easily deceived. Idols entice promising great rewards, pleasure, happiness, rest, a full night's sleep, <laughs> fulfillment, freedom. However, like a bait-and-switch scheme, their byproduct is rotting fruit compared to the, the abiding uh, fruit that we get in the life-giving vine. I found a quote this week. I thought it was so good. You can dress up greed, 
but you can't stop the stench. <laughs> you can dress up greed, but you can't stop the stench. And the reality is, with these, the fruit of housing idols, um, that we are left with fear rather than faith, control, an attempt to control rather than submission, mistrust rather than trust, anger rather than peace, discontent rather than contentment, growing a love for self rather than love for God, a trust in my wisdom which is finite in exchange for the infinite wisdom of God, robbing ourselves of the true joy God desires for us, bondage rather than freedom, emptiness rather than fulfillment, and the emotional toll that we all know with the burden of propping idols up and trying to make them work to solve our lives. Dave Pallison, Christian author and biblical counselor, writes in his article, Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair, the language of love, trust, fear, hope, seeking, serving, term, terms describing a relationship to the true God is continually utilized in the Bible to describe our false loves, false trusts, false fears, false hopes, false pursuits, false masters. There's a theme there. Idols, false, false, false. It lays bare the grasping and demanding nature of the human heart. Idolatry becomes a problem of the heart, a metaphor for human lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand. And I would add to that, which is never satisfied. Um, and inevitably, idols will fail. This is uh, Roman numeral five. Idols fail. Money can never buy enough. Power is elusive and control is temporary. Again, Pallison, and I think this is so intuitive in his explaining how idols, idols are enticing because they counterfeit aspects of God's identity that we really do want to know and to commune with and to um, rely on. But he said, idols counterfeit aspects of God's identity and character. For example, judge, savior, source of blessing, sin bearer, object of trust, author of a will which must be obeyed, and so on. Each idol that clusters in the system makes false promises and gives false warnings. Because both the promises and warnings are lies, service to each idol results in a hangover that was an interesting word, hangover, of misery and accursedness. Idols lie, enslave, and murder. They are continually insinuated by the one who was a liar, slave master, and murder from the beginning. They are under the immediate wrath of God who frequently does not allow such things to work in this world, and he doesn't allow those idols to work in your lives for good reason. Idols fail because they appear to be on par with God and share his abilities, but they lack power to act. Um, they're merely counterfeits and imitations. But idols also fail because God in his mercy desires us to pursue him. And Rick has said this a number of times. You know, Christians just don't sin well because we have a God, you know, who, who doesn't want us to succeed in that. He wants us to be godly and to honor him. And so many times he'll put a barrier in our way so we can't. Well, let me pick up with her outline. I think it's on page 93. Even good things become private idol shrines. And I think Helen coined that last week when I read your notes. I love the idea of a private idol shrine, which was so good because you can think of a shrine, okay, is where you venerate, right, like an idol. And I, we actually know some, knew some people in Philadelphia who's asked us about 
eating food that their families were had made for idols sitting in their living room in this little spot where they were venerating, whatever, worshiping, whatever they do. But anyway, um, even good things be, can become idols. And I think that's probably, or it could be, even a bigger trap for us. Um, and they become idols when it's the only thing that matters and we expect them to give us meaning and purpose. Our children are good and precious gifts, but when they define our meaning in life and our purpose, children, um, that becomes an idol. Friendship and time with other women is healthy, but then when, when they replace conversations with children or emotional intimacy with our spouses, that can be an idol. Ministry in the church, though good, should not sap all of our energy, so there's no nothing left for our people at home. And children and friendships and ministry are all good in their rightful place in our lives. Social media can be helpful in staying connected with friends and family, but not when it causes us to covet and indulge in self-pity because and my house definitely doesn't look like, or my cakes that I bake, or my bread that I really try, but I can't, you know, whatever it is, is not going to look like that. It's okay, and it has to be okay. Um, so we got to be careful with that, too. Um, as women, one of the most difficult good things that can become an idol is the ability to conceive or to conceive again to attain the family dream we desire. One blogger writes, while I've checked many things off my list, motherhood still eludes me. Each month I take a test and set the timer for two minutes, a tradition that takes, me, takes more from me each time I do it. For a moment I consider not hitting record this time, anticipating another crestfallen face. The ache inside me deepens, sinking into the marrow of my bones as I wait to see those two little lines. The camera records my tears as another negative test is thrown into the trash. The heartbreak I feel is not selfish. The desire for children is not evil. We have been called to be fruitful and multiply since the beginning of the world. So I set my sights on it, waiting every month for a small plastic stick to tell me all my dreams are coming true. But every month is a reminder that my ideal future has become more important to me than my faith in God. Before I even realized it, the baby I so desperately want has become my idol, and this empty womb is its temple. I thought that was really, really well, well said. Um, so what are we to do? Let's look at Roman numeral 7. And you're going to need um, a pencil coming up very soon. Uh, plowing the idols of our lives. Um, what are we called to do with those idols? When Rick was in seminary at Westminster, I enrolled in the certificate program with CCEF, hoping to get a counseling certificate degree. And I took a marriage and family counseling class and got pregnant with Hannah, and then I went to take another one, and I got pregnant again. <laughs> so I didn't finish. But what I learned from that marriage and family counseling class was really great. And it was here I first encountered the phrase uh, plowing. Of course, I couldn't get pregnant when we had money in the army. I just have to say that. It took us a couple of years. It wasn't as if... But anyway, so I first encountered the phrase plowing one's heart. And we discussed it, and it's actually really helpful if I want to throw in some marital encouragement, um, as a method of, um, you know, in conflict rather than it's your fault that I feel this way or it's your fault that we're in this situation taking a step back and praying and allowing God to plow your heart first as a spouse and consider what sin might be contributing 
it's really possible there is. There's a lot of mine that did what might be contributing rather than attempting to um, take that teeny weeny little speck out of your husband's, you know. So it was very helpful. Um, and we, I really practiced that faithfully. Um, and so, so what do I mean by plowing our heart? Well, a plow, and, and we live in a pretty agri- more agricultural community here, so we get this. A plow is a farm tool with a heavy blade. It's used to prepare soil for new seeds. As the plow is applied to the soil, it brings fresh nutrients to the surface. surface. It um, moves away decayed weeds and plants, and deep furrows or trenches are cut into the soil so new seeds can be planted. Similarly, as the Holy Spirit applies the plows of God's word, to the soil of our hearts. The decay is exposed, exposed, our idols. The rich nutrients of God's truth that we know about God are brought to the surface. And it's painful, but deep furrows are cut into which the seeds of the word can be sown. And so while we have a few quiet moments from our children, let's do some heart plowing together. And so I will use the list of questions on page 91, and I also want you to take your outline and flip it over, and I just want you to draw, to draw a circle. You can draw it as big or as little as you want to, but this is what you're going to do with the circle. We're going to work through those questions on page 91, and, I, and I'm wanting to do this prayerfully, and I'm trusting that the Lord will help us. I want you to write in the circle... Anything that the Lord brings to mind that maybe has been an idol that's still a temptation for you, something that is, or something that could potentially dethrone God and become something that you're trusting in more than you you would be trusting in the Lord. And I'm just going to use her questions. She encouraged, uh, Christina Fox, in the questions at the end, encouraged you all to do this. I just thought, again, it's quiet. Nobody is saying, mommy, 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 mommy. You know, um, it might be easier to do this now. And then you can take this home and just continue to meditate on it and ponder what you've discovered. Okay, so her first one. A, time and money. Where do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? Both money and time. um, That's her question. Where do you spend your time and how do you spend your money? Both time and money are good gifts, but both are limited resources. So care is needed to decide personally, how to use both. The Bible describes that activity as stewardships. As a steward, we're entrusted to use wisely something belong to something else. Time is a gift of God. Money is a gift from God. How are we going to, and it belongs to him, how are we going to use it on his behalf? Let me give you two scriptures. Matthew 6, 19, do not, or one scripture, sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Letter B, what are your strongest emotions? What do you fear? What makes you angry? In our book, the author quotes Elise Fitzpatrick who writes, Emotions are mirrors of our heart. A mirror can only reflect the image that's in front of it. You can't add anything to it or change it. Um, It can only reflect what's there. In the same marriage and family counseling class, I learned that emotions are a helpful gauge in identifying idols. When that idol is hooked, okay, and the, the word is kind of hooked, I guess you think of like catching a fish or hooking something, 
um, emotions tend to explode. And so in our lives, we might look there for private shrines where idols are just quietly resting and we're kind of able to keep them at bay um, when within a situation, fear and anger are hooked and maybe fear and anger really come to the surface. And you need to consider personally what situations cause those emotions of anger and fear to be triggered. Those are the two things she mentioned primarily in that section. Let me give you two verses. James 1.20 for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Letter um, C. Are we on C? Yeah. What controls you is her question. And this is a lordship issue. I think it was the sermon this past Sunday. It was mentioned you have this... Uh, lordship savior issue okay where some people think well i can have him as savior but not necessarily lord you need him as both your savior and your lord um and so pallison writes in this idea what controls you has something or someone besides jesus christ taken title to your heart's trust preoccupation loyalty service fear and delight it is a question bearing on the immediate motivation for one's behavior, thoughts, and feelings. In the Bible's conceptualization, the motivation question is the lordship question. Who or what rules my behavior? The Lord or a substitute? That would be the idol. A reminder that we cannot have Jesus as Savior and not serve him as Lord. He demands both. And in Matthew 6.25, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. And of course, in that passage, it's God and money, but you can't serve both, whether it's God and anything else. The next one, what do you fear losing? What thing if you lost today would devastate you? This is something, you, this is something that you consider makes your life complete. A person, object, ideal, goal, or dream. And that's something we all have to think about. Um, but it does remind me of a quote by Jim Elliott that is probably very familiar to everyone reflecting on the riches of the gospel. He is no fool if he would choose to give the things he cannot keep to find the things he liver, he'll never lose. The next one, what do, you trust in, what do you trust in to make your life better? Here, uh, the author quotes Luther, and I think this is phenomenal. Ask and examine diligently whether it cleaves alone to God or not. This is your heart. If you have a heart that ex can expect of him nothing but what is good, especially in want and distress, and that moreover renounces and forsakes everything that is not God, then you have the only true God. If on the contrary it cleaves to anything else of which it expects more good, and help than of God, and does not take refuge in him or God, but an, adver an adversity flees from God, then you have an idol or another God. The next one, what are your if-onlys? If-onlys communicate usually a remorse or regret over the past. This might bring to mind a past failure or sin, or the sin or failure of another that has greatly impacted you that you cannot get out of your mind and continues to be something that you go to. What sin or sin do you constantly battle or protect? 
there is one. <laughs> we all have them. You know what I find so helpful, though, and I thought of this years ago. You know, it used to be that with that sin, you didn't even realize it was wrong. But the Lord was so kind, and he showed you that. And then there's this path of, okay, now I understand it's wrong, but I don't quite know what to do. And then you learn a little bit more, and he says, okay, now I'm going to help you and show you, and you begin to see how to do that. And over time, you're able to manage, to battle that sin and eventually overcome it. But it is a process. So I'm saying don't be discouraged. We all battle sin and sometimes recurring sins. But I find where at one point I didn't even know, and now I'm really trying to mortify it as two different things. So um, the next one, what areas of your life seem out of control? Places we attempt to control reveal idols. The next one, what barriers do you face in your life keeping you from what you want? And this is what I mentioned before, God will put up barriers to keep us from sin. They're actually good because they're a hedge and evidence of God's protection. We could really do a lot more damage than we we do. We could sin a lot more, but God is gracious. I pray for barriers for my children that would prevent them from successfully sinning Um, and um, going down paths that might have consequences that they just are not able to see. Has God placed barriers in your life for protections, ones which you are continually trying to tear down? The second to last, what do you expect from God? from yourself, from your husband, from your children, from your family, from your church, from your neighbors? And what happens when those expectations are not fulfilled? The last one, what do you feel self-pity about or feeling sorry for yourself? (laughs) I have an image of that toddler kind of. That was one of our children. had a really good pouty face. I won't tell you which one, but they did. Um, and, and self-pity tends to place the blame on other people for our hardships and makes everything an excuse. So I hope that that has been helpful um, in filling in your circle. And I'd encourage you just to ask the Lord to continue to plow your heart because it's a lifelong process. Um, as moms, you'll do it, and there'll be certain things that will trigger as you age, there'll be other things that trigger um, those idols. And so just continue to pray for the Lord to show you. Helping our children plow the idols of our hearts. As you plow the idols of your heart, the Lord is equipping you to help your children identify theirs and learn at a very young age how to turn from them and turn to God. The, you see a behavior, but lurking behind that behavior is an idol. And you need to pray and ask the Lord to show you what that is. So in your discipline, you can correct, excuse me, you can correct that child slapping another child or hitting them over the head with a xylophone or something, which actually not in my home, but happened in someone else's home. Um, But you want to get to that underlying issue of their lack of love for that sibling, their lack of concern for their welfare. Um, and many, many other things. So I would encourage you to do that. As you're learning, the wonderful thing about what we learn is that it's so applicable to helping our children. Um, Well, without God, we would never have any hope of escaping the the bondage of idolatry. But God. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he's the one who has that but God. Um, Or because of God is what our author says. With God, we have hope that these idols will be identified and and conquered, and I use the word conquered. We're not going to live this um, 
idol-free, like victorious life where we never sin. I know there are some religions that do encourage you and that somehow you can become completely sinless before you're glorified, and it's not possible. But we can have victory over these things because the goal of our lives is to be godly, right, and to honor the Lord in response to what he's done for us. And so um, we, want to, we want to move forward with that hope. Um, and we want to first remember the work he's done for, for us on our behalf. First, he did for us what we could not do, living a perfect life and dying as the perfect and acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Second, Hebrews 18, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And he's able to help us in our weakness and our temptation as we turn to him. Third, we have hope to overcome whatever temptation is before us because he intercedes on our behalf all the time, every moment of every day. Um, Romans 8.34 says, Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 1 John 2.1, we read that Jesus is our advocate and father. And in Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to intercede for us. Well, in response to that work of Christ is, his, is, is our praising him, of course, but our gratitude, and our gratitude is shown in the way that we respond. Um, and I don't know if I have time to read all these scriptures, but I, I just want to share what I would encourage you to do just practically as you're facing those idols. First, the idol's right here, and it's pulling you in, right? And you're just feeling like, I can't. But you can, because God's word says to submit uh, and draw near to him. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Two, confess your sin, because you are going to fall, or your inability, and ask for forgiveness. And he will um, cleanse us from all our sins and help us to walk in a path of righteousness. Three, um, flee from idolatry, trusting God to provide a way of escape. We would never think of fleeing in a direction where we couldn't get out, right? It just wouldn't make any sense. But we know that God has the directions, and he is the way to get out. And so we can flee to him knowing that he will lead us on the way out. Um, And there's 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 14, um, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. Number four, devote yourself to the word to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. What we're, do, what we're doing in terms of um, laying aside these idols is impossible without the word. Um, and it's got to be there every single day. And that's what's going to transform us. Five, anticipate God's victory. <laughs> For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's a promise. And this is a victory he has, our faith. Well, putting idols to death and plowing our hearts can be very painful work. And often it's this principle of, of life through death. And I love Elizabeth Elliot. She frequently um, quotes the verse, um, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears, no, it bears no fruit. Let me give you one more quote as we close um, to just encourage this life through death, this laying aside of idols for, for God. Um, The principles of gain through loss, 
joy through sorrow, getting by giving, of fulfillment by laying down, of life out of death is what the Bible teaches. And the people who have believed it enough to live it out in simple, humble, day-by-day practice are people who have found the gain, the joy, the getting, the fulfillment, the life. Let me go ahead and close in prayer. Page 95, our author has uh, written a prayer that um, I think is helpful for us, so I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Lord, as we read through our list, we realize more and more the ways we worship false gods. We see emotional responses in the way we do X, and you can fill that in. This is very convicting, but we know that you're at work in us by your spirit. Though we are crushed by conviction, we know you will heal. You will use even these idols and, and these things that are temptations to make me more like your son, and for that I am thankful. I pray with the psalmist, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Forgive us, Father, for sinful thoughts, desires, and emotions. Forgive us for the if-onlys, self-pity, and not trusting in you alone. You are our life, our salvation, our hope, and our joy. Help us to remember that even in the midst of difficult warfare. Shower us with your grace today as we face the idols of our hearts, and may you be glorified in this process. In Jesus' name, amen.